morning. Nice, light day. I would, like some of my college professors, say, all right, let's all just scoot up real close, but I'm not going to do that to you today. Um, I do want to highlight a couple quick other announcements. Um, The Brazil team made it to Brazil, so that is awesome news. Um, Just continue to keep them in your prayers this week uh, as they... um, are far away, and some of them probably are carrying some of the potential illness that most of us have been dealing with, so I just ask that that stays clear from them. Also, for the parenting conference, um, if you're a parent, have been a parent, um, are a single parent, are thinking about adopting or fostering or having kids one day, that's really for you to go to as well. It's for everybody who's interested in that. Um, And we just ask that you would really pray about that and think about RSVPing soon so we can um, really know how many childcare workers we need and can plan accordingly. Um, So speaking of sickness, my family got hit with the bug this week as well, unfortunately, and it was just the worst. Max knows. We... (laughs) He's still kind of going through just a little bit of it. And I, I do not like to be sick, especially in that nauseous way. And I realize when I get sick how much I take it for granted when I feel good. And I would imagine that I'm not the only one in here who feels that same way. I have yet to meet one person who says, you know what, I really enjoy feeling crummy. I've not met one person. This, and... As humans, no one is exempt from dealing with situations of pain or tough situations in their life. And the stomach bug is nothing compared to some of the things we face under the sun, like we've been learning here in Ecclesiastes. But from our minor spells of sickness to the most difficult seasons of life, we look for ways to deal with what we're facing. We wonder, how do we deal with this? And in our humanness, we tend to approach it in one of two ways. On one hand, we can attempt to just escape, to escape the reality at hand that's before us. Or on the other hand, we can attempt to master and control the reality that we're facing. So today we're going to be working through Ecclesiastes 7, most of it. And we're going to see how we tend to approach life in this manner, specifically when things are hard, but really at all the time. And we're going to see what the preacher says about how to live in wisdom compared to living in folly. And along the way, we're going to see how God is active and present all the time and gives us all we need to live in a wise way in the midst of everything that life throws to us. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to be reading from Ecclesiastes 7. We're just going to do verses, just verses 1 through 25. Um, And that's on page 556 of those Bibles in your row there. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we have some out there at the connection table for you to take, so just feel free to grab one here after the gathering. Ecclesiastes 7. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, and by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. 
For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In my vain life, I have seen everything. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous, and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not, be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? It is good that you should take hold of this, and from that withhold not your hand. For the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it is far from, it was far from me. That which has been far off is deep, and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? I turn my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we're thankful for this day and that we could come together. Uh, we're thankful for your word and that we can uh, dive into this passage. Um, just pray that you would be speaking, Lord. Uh, just by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would be opening our hearts to see what it is that you would have for us to know today. And I pray that um, you would keep the team in Brazil safe. Uh, just ask that you would use them for a lot of fruitful work down there. And just ask that you would help them to be encouraging to the Restore Brazil team. Um, and we just pray for the remainder of this gathering, Lord. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. So at first glance... It may seem like this chapter makes little sense. And I will admit, at one read-through, it is tough to see where the preacher is going here. I read it, and I was like, okay, what do you know? Spring break week, odd passage. And if you haven't noticed yet, though, Ecclesiastes can often seem like this. It does not work in a clear, linear thought. And I've reflected on this a little, and I believe that it is a beautiful part of God's design for the book. We're meant to read it slowly and pause and to recognize the complexity of our world and the fact that we, in and of ourselves, are so insignificant. God is all-knowing and we are not. And that's okay. We are not meant to know everything. We're not going to be able to. What we are meant to do is to have everything point us back to God, to glorify Him for how wonderful and powerful He is. 
But we can't read Ecclesiastes just in the simple way that we want. And I want to preface that it's going to be really hard to go in this chapter line by line, so we're going to have to bounce around a little bit and pull out what God has for us in this poetry. So if you'll remember in chapter 5, we talked about church under the sun. We learned how we ought to approach living with one another as the body of Christ and how we ought to approach our relationship before God, specifically in prayer. And then the preacher brings us outside the church doors again as we continue on in chapter 5, out of our private prayer life, back into the issues of the world, we talk about the vanity of wealth and honor and the ways we struggle to find contentment in this life, the way that we struggle between the love of God and the love of money. And we realize how hard it can be to approach all of these things day in and day out. So enter Ecclesiastes 7. And in this chapter, the preacher starts to unpack some wisdom for us about how to approach this daily grind of life. The author starts here by yet again painting a picture of our reality, what our true reality is. He says, before you can live wisely, you need to remember again who you are. Wisdom faces reality. Think about your story for a second. I know that sounds kind of odd to say your story, but if you think about it, if you're in here today and you're alive, you have a story. You have a beginning and a middle. And your middle is where you're at right now, at some point in the middle of your life. You have multiple events and circumstances that have led to the place where you are at today. And it's easy in the midst of life to think that where you are is where you always will be. This is all that there is. And we fail to recognize that every single one of our stories on this earth has an end. The preacher says to live wisely, you must always keep that in mind. Verse 1 says, the day of death is better than birth. And verse 2 says, the house of mourning is the end of all mankind. He's reminding us again yet of our mortality. And he says, remember it. But at first glance, this doesn't seem right to us. And I think he knows this. He knows that everyone under the sun, everybody on earth will live having good times, bad times, and die. And when we face that, we want to challenge it. We want to challenge the reality that this will someday end. This life on earth will someday end. And being reminded of this will tempt us to approach life in one of two ways. And the first is that we will try to escape. We live seeking to escape reality. This is the folly of escapism. And the preacher has some words to say about this on the first half of this chapter. Verse 3 and 4 says, Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of faith, the heart is made glad. 
Sadness of face, excuse me, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It's important right off the bat to see that he's not saying that it's wrong to enjoy. He's not saying that, that, that joy is a bad thing. Because if you remember in chapter 2, 24 and 25, it says there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. We are absolutely supposed to enjoy the good things that we have in this life. What is unwise, the preacher is saying, is to live a life that's centered on the pursuit of joy and empty laughter and entertainment and amusement and pleasure. And it's a true temptation, specifically when we're dealing with all the difficulties that come with living in this life. A life that looks at all the things we've been talking about in Ecclesiastes, all the vanities, all the oppressions, all the pain, all our mortality, a life that looks at these things and says, I don't want any part of that. So I'm going to go and seek to get all the joy and pleasure I can out of this life that's possible. It's easy in light of those things to want to escape to isolate ourselves, maybe not always physically, but absolutely emotionally and mentally from all the tough stuff, even though we've been warned time and time again that it's not going to fulfill, we still go to find our pleasure and our comfort and our safety in things of this world. Maybe you've struggled with sickness recently. Clearly, there's a lot of people who have because there's nobody here. Or maybe you've struggled or are struggling with something that's way more difficult than a stomach bug. I want to be clear that I am not at all trying to equate a little quick sick spell with the gut-wrenching and life-altering difficulties that we face in life. Our struggles fall all over the spectrum. Maybe you've had some sort of loss at some point, or you battle with grief, or a hard time financially, or you wrestled with anxiety and depression, or you've had interpersonal conflict with people that you love. Maybe this is going on right now, today, as you entered these doors. Our tendency is to want to escape these. Put a band-aid on a deep wound. Get the help we need quickly, so we can move on and get to better times, get the quick fix and the couple steps to solving whatever it is that we're facing, or to insulate ourselves, just insulate ourselves from having to deal with it. And we do this in various ways. Think about some of the ways that you might do it. I know for me, something that that came quickly to mind was entertainment. Between Netflix, Hulu, and Prime Video, in a new sporting event every single day, there's a lot to be entertained by for me. A ton. Maybe you get engrossed in your work. You go all out on getting stuff done. You can be productive and successful. Or maybe physical pleasures. Eat whatever you want. Whatever spark and joy, go for it. There's drugs. There's alcohol to numb us and escape our reality. 
On the flip side, you can also chase eating healthy and working out all the time, trying to feel good in that way. Or maybe we just escape into anger and we become calloused. All of these things are tempting to turn to in light of living in reality of a fallen world, but the preacher says, this is unwise. Verse 2 says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. He says, look at the reality and lay it to heart. Go to the house of mourning. Under the sun, because of the fall and the entrance of sin into our world, there is this cloud coverage of spiritual warfare that often we don't think about. And it distorts our view of seeing the goodness of God all the time. If you think about being on a plane and it's a, it's a cloudy day like this, at some point you break through those clouds and you see the sun. And it's awesome if you ever had that opportunity to come out of a storm and just be flying above that storm. There's cloud coverage in our lives. We don't see God clearly because of our fallen state. We don't see God's goodness all the time. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Satan would love for nothing more than for you to despair in your struggles and to run from them. The preacher says, go to the house of mourning. For we have a God who understands and a God who came in the flesh and understands what our reality is and feels what we feel and faced what we faced. And he has conquered and overcome all the struggles and pains so that we may rest in his finished work. So go to him in those struggles you will not be able to gather enough strength on your own. And Jesus does not want you to. He wants you to bring your burden to him. Also, we've been given one another. He wants you to bring your burden to the body of Christ. Those who have also been united with him. It's okay to wrestle with pain. You know, and I, and I have a... I have a, I don't know if I would call it, I have a, a desire to see us be a community that would really go to one another in these pains and struggles because that's what we've been given in our community. A place to say, you know what, I actually am struggling. I'm not just okay. <laughs> a community group, how are you doing? I'm fine. Are you? I'm not always Okay. So that's, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of running a little bit here because I want us to see, I feel it's important that we have to take this seriously, that we face struggles, we have to bring them before our God and one another. So lay it to heart that physically we're going to crumble. Lay it to heart that we are weak. Lay it to heart that life brings these challenges. Don't seek to run and don't escape into the emotion of anger either. We're reminded in verse 9, be not quick in your heart, 
in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. There's no need to be given over completely to anger. There is a time to be angry. In Ephesians 4, we see that we should be angry but do not sin. There's a place for this righteous anger that looks at the things of the world and says, this is not the way it should be, and we can be angry at that. What the preacher says is, don't let it lodge. Don't let it lodge in your heart. It lodges in the heart of fools, not the wise. When I was a kid, I could fit a quarter in between my front teeth. It was kind of awesome. It was a cool, fun trick to do at lunch. But things would get lodged in there all the time. And sometimes it would hurt. And other times I wouldn't even notice that it's in there. I would get so used to something getting stuck up there that I would just not even feel it. But other people would. And so this kind of goes with anger being lodged in our heart. Sometimes it just takes up residence and it lodges somewhere. And we get so used to it that we don't see it. But eventually it comes out in one way or another. And usually it's unexpected and it's gross. Just like the food in my teeth. We are also not to told we are also told we are not to wish for former better days, escaping into this fantasy of an alternate reality, seeking to either go back to the place where we were or looking for something that is coming in the future. Verse 10 says, "Say not, why were the former days better than this? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this." If we have learned anything from Ecclesiastes, anything at all, it is that we do not understand fully all of the whys on this earth. Chris mentioned this verse a few weeks ago, Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, The secret things belong to, to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God has not revealed to us everything in its entirety, but we have been given what we need God gives us the grace to be free from needing to approach every day saying, why are these days not like the others? And he frees us from needing to escape into the vain, materialistic things of life. We're called to embrace what we're facing and thankfully, we are given the power to do so in God who loves and understands what we face and empowers us to rest in him. But escapism is not the only way we approach life. It's not the only way we approach life circumstances. There's another side. There's a flip side of escapism on the coin of folly, as I'll call it, and that is pride. The idea that we're powerful and we are in control. The folly of trying to control reality. The preacher sees the reality of life that we're going to face the physical end of death and says we're going to either escape or we're going to be like, you know what, I'm not going to escape at all. I'm going to go grab it and I'm going to take control of it. We seek to become the master of our own destiny. The master of our fate. And we do this ironically in seeking wisdom. The pursuit of wisdom can really become the pursuit of control. We believe that wisdom is something we can attain fully and it will lead us to prosper. Or maybe we use it religiously and we believe that wise living is going to help us attain a righteousness 
that we need in order to stand right before God. So instead of acting foolishly and escaping it, we just say, you know what? I'm going to master reality. We take a chapter like Ecclesiastes 7 or any of Ecclesiastes, the book of Proverbs, the commandments, and the law or the words of Christ, and we slip into this thought that if we follow the rules and we live wisely, we're going to control our circumstances. And we quickly forget that it is God who holds things sovereignly together, not us. Verse 15 and 16 says, There's a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. There's a wicked man who prolongs his life in his evil doing. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? It's saying that using wisdom to live righteously in order that you can gain a righteousness based on your own works is foolish. It's not what God has given us wisdom for. And the preacher will give us a few more examples to really illustrate this point that wisdom is good, but we should not lose sight that we can only attain it because of God's grace. And it was meant to point us back to him so we could see more and more of him and live under his rule in the way we were designed to. Verse 19 gives us this picture of a wise man who has strength over ten rulers in a city. It says there's a fact that one wise man has strength over ten rulers. So this one wise guy is stronger than ten rulers. But in verse 20, we're quickly reminded, surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. No matter how much strength one has, there's still a sinner in need of grace, just like every other person on the face of the planet. And in verses 21 and 22, it says, we shouldn't be too overly sensitive to all that people do to us. In this instance, saying bad things. Because verse 22 says, Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. Wisdom sees we are limited. We too are sinners. That we curse others and we get offended when others curse us. Do you notice this in your life? I do in mine. When I feel like I have the way ahead... It's easy to feel overly powerful and forget that I too am like every other sinner in need of grace and love and forgiveness from God and Jesus Christ. And I get all riled up when I know people are gossiping and slandering, but then I turn right away and I do the same exact thing. Wisdom sees that we will not know everything. At all times when seeking to live wisely, we must remind ourselves that we can never know enough to control our lives the way we want. It is God who controls every aspect of this universe. So in the midst of the reality of life, and in our struggles specifically that come along with that, we seek to escape, or we seek to pursue wisdom, And use it to control and to have power over our lives. So what do we do with this? What does the preacher say is the answer? We've been given a list of solid proverbs. And there's a lot more that I'm not unpacking. It would take us five hours to go through every verse in chapter 7. 
But we've been given a list of solid Proverbs for some practical advice. But what is at the root of them all? What is the key to living in wisdom as opposed to living in foolishness? We've touched on it just a little bit, but the key is in the middle of this chapter, in verse 13 and 14. It says, in verse 13, Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. We are called to consider. We see that word twice in there. That's the answer to living wisely. Every single moment of our life to consider the work of God in the day of prosperity and in the day of adversity. Consider the work of God because behind and above all that we see, something greater is at work, a greater reality than we could ever imagine. Every single one of our stories fits into this great reality, this ultimate reality. And that is the reality that God exists and he is graciously and sovereignly ruling over every detail in the universe, every detail of your life. So the first step to living wisely is to recognize this, consider it all the time, and stand in awe of the God who created you. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Standing in awe of the Lord is the beginning of knowing things. In the next step is to see how weak we are and repent of the sin that separates us from God and to realize God has made a way through Jesus Christ and we can respond to that. Because at the beginning of time, Adam and Eve were created worshiping and living in perfect communion with God and one another. And they, seeking to find wisdom for themselves, listened to Satan and believed that they could become wise like God. So they sought to elevate themselves in their knowledge to the place of God and through their rebellion, sin, death, and all the bad things entered into this world. But God didn't leave them there because at the right time and in the right place, God the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born in the flesh as a baby being fully God and fully man. Jesus lived perfectly and died in our place because there are no amount of good things we can do, no amount of wisdom to be attained that can get us to the right place in front of God. And Jesus didn't stay dead. He raised again on the third day by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he sits now at the right hand of God the Father. And one day he's going to come back and there will be no loss, no pain, no sickness, no conflict, no struggles. And we're going to live worshiping God forever and ever in perfect joy and love. That is the ultimate reality we all live in, whether we see it or not. And it sounds so awesome that someday we're going to be there. But what we tend to forget is that although the restoration of all things is going to be full one day, it's happening right now. That's the thing that I forget. Because when I leave these doors, I quickly, quickly forget that God is restoring things now. 
We've been granted access to God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are being made new today. And if you haven't put your faith in Christ, he offers that freely. You can have access to true wisdom in Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 30-31 says, And because of him... You are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And in Ephesians 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on the earth. This wisdom of God revealed in Christ frees us to see what God is doing in the overarching story of his glory and love. So stand in awe of that, realizing our end in Christ is something to look forward to, but also something we get to be excited about now. So in that, we don't have to just escape because times are hard. We can actually press into them even more. Because we know that God has the final word on all of our pain and all of our struggles. And we can rejoice in the good things because we know that these are but a foretaste of the true joy we have in Christ that we will experience fully someday. And we can let go of trying to control and have power over all aspects of our destiny because as we saw in verse 14, God has made all the days we face. And if we know that he loves us, We can rest that his plan is good. The only wisdom we need is rooted in God and revealed to us and centered in Jesus Christ, who is the revelation of God's character and nature and glory. And the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, points to the fact that that God has accomplished and is bringing all things to full completion in Jesus, Jesus Christ. Excuse me. To see that this is something that is happening constantly and moment by moment is what we must do. Because you stand in the presence of God now. And it's only because of Jesus we can actually look at death and say, you have no power over me. It's the end the preacher says to look at. That's wise to remember is coming. And it's paradoxical to us because the wisdom of the world says, don't look at that, push it away. Looking at the end reminds us of the eternal realities we live in and it causes us to be able to live seriously in front of God right now. These physical pictures are just metaphors of the greater spiritual reality. When you realize who you are in your sin and how weak and powerless you are, you realize that all of your life is constantly, constantly dependent on Christ. And we can rejoice that we no longer are conquered by our death. When you see this and recognize your mortal life is short and fleeting and that every moment is precious, life becomes more and more joyful. 
Because of Christ in the midst of all circumstances, we can have joy. John 15.10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. This is Jesus speaking. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So today, live in light of who God is and what God has done in Christ. And see that he is present. Present in all areas of life. And that we can approach all our days in light of this. Whether they're days of prosperity or days of adversity. We get the opportunity now to respond to the fact that we can actually rest easy in Jesus. Every week we take communion here. And it's a time for those who have put their faith in Christ to come forward and participate in the reminder of what God has done to bring us back into a restored relationship with himself and with one another. To remember who has revealed the wisdom of God to us and is present with us all the time. If you're here today and you have not yet made the decision to follow Christ, then take the time to do so. There are going to be prayer responders and pastors in the back who'd love to talk with you. Also, if you're just here and you need some prayer, please take advantage of that time because we've got folks who would love to pray over you and in, in any life struggle that you're facing right now. So we take communion here by coming forward. Um, we're just going to have a station down front So I'm sorry for you all on the balcony if you want to come down here. um, We take a piece of bread and we dip it in the cup. We have both juice and wine to take as your conscience leads you. The wine is in the cup mixed with twine, mixed, encircled with twine. Wine, twine, just remember that. Um, Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful. We're thankful for a day Honestly, a day that we can just kind of be quiet. Where we can gather, even with low low numbers, and just remember that we are not able to live wise on our own. That we're not able to muster up enough strength to control our reality, but also that we don't have to escape the reality we face. We're thankful for Jesus that he made a way for us to know you and to find true restoration and true healing in the midst of all the tough things that life brings us. I pray, pray, Lord, that you would stir up just within our body, our congregation, just a desire to be honest, to be vulnerable, to be open to the fact that life is not always great, but that we face tough times. And I pray that you would help us to be there for one another in these tough times and see that you are always there. And I pray too that you would also help us to rejoice in the good times that you give us. We're thankful, Lord, for this day and just ask that you would help us to constantly be reminded of your grace and your love and your goodness. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.